I want you, if you would, to turn to your Bibles. We're going to, um, like I said, this week, and I believe next week, but we're, we're in our First Peter chapter five, getting towards the end of this chapter. And see, I'll just turn with me there. I remember it was. Uh, I was looking back at my sermons. I think it was towards the beginning of this year, like after Christmas and right at the beginning of the new year, when we were in the middle of a series on, uh, I believe, the ministry of the Word, and we're going through doctrine and. And different things that the Word is for salvation, the Word is to be preached, the Word is to be believed. And it was a series and I took a break right in the middle and I had prepared uh, to preach it, whatever that following Sunday was, to continue the series. And the Lord woke me up and gave me a different message. And then we went back, uh, we went back to that series the following Sunday, but the message was real similar to this. And we'll, we'll, we'll read it, and you'll, uh, I don't know if you'll remember the sermon or not, but I, re- I remembered it, but let's look at this. We're in a conflict, okay? And I think the sermon was titled, We're in a Battle, or We're in a Fight. And uh, let's read this, First Peter 5, uh, 8, 9, 8 and 9. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And I think he's talking about Christian brothers, okay, your brothers that are in the world. And we're going to get into this study tonight about Satan and how he tries to come against us and our weapons against him and what should be the believer's mindset. And I kind of want to sum up at the beginning, never are we told in the Word of God that we're to fear the devil. We're not to live in fear. We're not to live in fear that there's a demon behind every bush and every preacher or teacher is going to be a false preacher and a demon's going to jump on me. I don't believe we're to live in fear like that. I don't see that in the Word of God. What we are to be, you know, you can go so far the other way that you would be careless and neglect. And I think what we are to be is it's exactly what this Scripture says, to be sober and be vigilant because. So in other words, be watchful. Be looking out. We're not ignorant of His devices. We're not to be ignorant of His devices. we got the Holy Ghost living inside of us. The devil can't just come and take over our lives. The demon can't come and just possess my life and take over me or possess my mind and rock my world and make me like the guy that lived among the tombs that Jesus cast the legion of demons out. He can't do that to my life. But he is a formidable foe that, that we are to be aware of and the power to resist Him and the power to stand against Him and the power to come out on top, which we do every time, is going to be the, through the blood of Jesus, through the victory that Christ has given us when He defeated. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, He ultimately defeated principalities and powers and everything that was contrary uh, to us. And whether it be uh, religious laws or whether it be Satan, he defeated all that. You say, well, why is Satan still having a heyday now in the world? Because his time is limited. It's like his, his defeat is sure. And we're going to see the ultimate defeat at the end of the, uh, end of the millennium, actually, where we see him bound and cast into, uh, cast into the lake of... I'm sorry, not bound, but cast into the lake of fire forever. Forever. Okay, so he's like, he's, his days are numbered. They're specifically numbered. He won't stretch them out by one hour or one day and exist any longer than God would have him to. He was defeated on the cross. He's defeated in the sense of the life of the believer. That when the, the one that comes to Christ by faith, Satan does not have any advantage or power over us other than what we would, in a faithless manner, I would say, give to him. 
If we keep our eyes on Jesus and walk in the Spirit, then and, and keep our eyes on the Lord and walk in obedience to Him humbly with our God, He's more than enough. Our God is more than enough match for the devil. I know I've shared the little illustration before. I'm going to share it again. There was a little girl that had given her life to the Lord, and there was an older man visiting the family or whatever, and he wasn't a believer, and he kind of ridiculed her a little bit and said, well, okay, you gave your life to Jesus. That's wonderful. He wasn't a believer. He said, what are you going to do when Satan comes knocking on your door, trying to tempt you, trying to get at you like a, a roaring lion like we're talking about? She says, I'm just going to let Jesus answer the door. And I think that is the, the right attitude that we're to have. You and I in ourselves are no match for Satan. You and I as believers, I would say, if we're functioning in ourselves, okay, in a faithless manner, just saying, I got this, Jesus. You know, you sit back here. I got it. Then we're no match for Satan. But the Lord in us is more than enough. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. I wanted to read a little bit from this, uh, this commentary before we got started, Dwight Pentecost said this, an individual who takes no cognizance or thought of the nature or character of the world, one who is unmindful of the purposes and attacks of our adversary, and that's what Satan is, the devil, can afford to live in a lighthearted or flippant way. But for one who sees life as Jesus Christ sees it, there must be an entirely new attitude, an entirely new outlook, characterized by sobriety. Sobriety does not mean a depression or that we always have a gloomy look on our face and I'm sober and I'm watching out for the devil. Uh, it does mean that we're serious-minded about the things of God. We're serious about it. It's not a joke to us. Satan's not a joke to us. Deception's not a joke to us. Uh, him, him getting up and, re- and getting in and wrecking a marriage is not a joke to us. It's something that are getting into our church or having some kind of advantage over our children because we let him in or we let him in through the cell phone or we let him in through the TV or the music or a friend. Um, it's not a joke. We're sober in that sense that we're serious-minded about it. But we don't live in fear and we don't uh, of him and we don't live depressed. Okay? So let's get back to our study real quickly. It's interesting that the Bible gives the example, or Peter does here uh, in the Word of God, of Satan being as a roaring lion. He's not literally a lion, no more than Jesus is a door, okay? Or a shepherd with a, uh, necessarily with a staff. He, he is as a roaring lion, lion. And, you know, if there's a hireling who's over that flock, then the hireling, Jesus said, when he sees the, the wolf come, for example, he's going to panic. And he's going to be filled with fear because he's just a hireling. This is just a job. It's not worth losing my life for, right? He's going to throw down whatever he's got. He's going to take off. And the wolf is going to come and scatter the sheep and maybe take some of the sheep. And it's not going to be... Um, they're not going to be protected. But Jesus is the good shepherd. And He watches over us. And I think about David. David had a shepherd's heart, right? Think about it because he, his life growing up was tending to those sheep. Was he just a hireling? You know, the Lord gives us that glimpse into his history, into his life. And he says to Saul, when he's about to fight Goliath, he says, thy servant, and Saul's going, you're just, a, you're just a youth, and this guy Goliath's been a warrior since his youth. And you're just a little youth. And you think you can take him. And he says, well, let me tell you what God did. Thy servant, when I was tending those sheep, he says a wolf came and took one of the sheep and thy servant went after the wolf and got him and killed the wolf and brought back the sheep alive. 
Another time he says a lion came. A lion, y'all. Okay? I might could take on a wolf. I don't know. Maybe one. You know, I'm sure getting a good wrestling match with him or something. But a lion, okay? He, he says a servant went after the lion. He didn't let him go and say, oh, well, we lost one sheep. He went after the lion. And he caught it by the beard and he killed it. And he brought back the sheep alive. So we see a difference between a hireling and a good shepherd. Okay? And there's no, even though David was a good shepherd, God eventually made him shepherd of his people, Israel, right? Shepherd and king of Israel. That's what he became. And it was that training ground was that mindset that he had in trusting God and caring for something. Caring for what was he was supposed to care for and, and by God's power. Okay? And so the Lord watches over us. He's a good shepherd. And the uh, but even the most guarded flock, if you want to call it that, home family, I'm talking about Christian home family church, even the most guarded flock of believers is not immune to at least the attempt of Satan getting in, right? He's going to at least try. He may try and fail. Pray, pray that he does try and fail because we're on guard. And the Lord's on guard over all of us. But it doesn't mean he won't try. He's going to try. And it's interesting also that uh, when, when Jesus, the, one of the first words that the Lord spoke to men on the earth was when uh, he spoke to Cain, when Cain brought the wrong offering, right? Abel brought the right one, a blood sacrifice, and Cain brought the wrong offering. Even God gives him a second chance. If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? If not, he said, sin, and the, the, the picture is given, the sin being crouched like a beast that's ready to pounce on it. Now, the, the words, when you really look at, at the, what the words mean, that's the picture that's given. He says, sin lies at the door, and it's going to have the advantage over you when you really break it down. And look, what are they saying? In the phrase of speech, it, the picture was given that sin, Cain, is right there. And it's up to you. Okay? It's up to you. If you do what's right, you'll be accepted. If not, it's sin is ready to pounce upon you like a beast and tear you up. And so Satan is compared to uh, this, this lion that's walking around in the earth. A roaring lion. Okay? And he's no myth. It's amazing how many people will claim to believe in God or the God of the Bible even and yet have no... Uh, consideration that Satan is real. He's like a myth. He's like a fairy tale. Well, he represents evil. It's the best that the Bible authors could do to represent some ultimate evil that's opposite of God. The Lord deals with him as real, doesn't He? I mean, he, he, all through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, I beheld Satan fall as lightning. He was a real, he's a real uh, entity. And so, there's, like I said, this last big conflict when, at the end of the, the uh, millennium when he's really put away once and for all. But, but uh, that would actually be a very uh, subtle and clever trick of Satan for people not to believe in him. Because if people don't believe in him or take him seriously or kind of halfway believe in him or don't give him much thought, then he's free undercover to roll around doing all kinds of things and roam around doing all kinds of things. So again, it's not that we're obsessed with the devil. Don't be. Don't be obsessed. Be, be, keep your mind stayed upon the Lord, your heart fixed upon God. And as we're doing that in His Word, He's going to tell us about Satan. And the Holy Ghost is going to warn us, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, the Bible says. We're not ignorant of his devices, but we're consumed with the Lord, not with, with uh, 
with Satan and what he's trying to do. And so if it weren't for the Lord on our side, we would be no match for him. I mean, that's just a fact. We would be no match at all for Satan. And people that are just lost in the world, Satan's already got them, but he, you know, some he possesses. You know, Satan's not omniscient or omnipresent either. In other words, Satan may not literally be here watching us tonight, but because only God can be everywhere being omnipresent like that. But Satan does have a host or myriad of wicked spirits that are under his allegiance, you know, and part of his under his chain of command that do his bidding and do what he wants them to wants them to do. And so I would I would think that probably there's not a moment uh, where we're not being maybe looked at by some demon to see what these these Christians are doing at Cornerstone, or what are they doing at work, or what are they doing when they go off to school, or what are the kids doing when the parents aren't watching, or what are the, you know what I'm saying, where they're looking to get an advantage over us, and Satan is looking to get an advantage over us. He's our adversary, okay? An adversary is, is like a, a legal opponent in a, in a suit, or not, you know, in a legal suit. Like they're, they're legally against you, they're after you, you're, you're on the opposite team. All right, that's an adversary. And we don't have to turn there, but uh, the prophet Zechariah, in, in the book of Zechariah, he says he beheld sta- Satan standing uh, as an adversary beside the high priest Joshua to oppose him, to resist him. He was standing there, whatever, it doesn't even really tell us, whatever Joshua the high priest, evidently he was a good priest, and Satan was trying to oppose what he was doing in his worship to God or leading the people or in the ways of God. And he was, his whole purpose was there to be. He was standing right there by the high priest. Zachariah got to see it. It's a real priest. It wasn't like some story. And he saw him stand there to oppose him. And he is the accuser of the brethren. Now, if he brings an accusation against your life or my life, he can say a lot of truth in it, and yet it still not be true, if you know what I mean. In other words, he could say, Damien, you really uh, messed up today. You, you, uh, whatever. Or Randy, you messed up, or you lied right here, or you thought this, or you got really depressed and discouraged, or you got worried and fearful, and you didn't trust God. And there's a lot of truth in what he says. But my righteousness is not based upon my perfection. It's our standing in Christ. And so he's the accuser. Like he, he would try to convince me, you're not really saved. <laughs> that might be one of the things he tries to convince you of. You know, a real Christian would not have thought what you just thought. A real Christian would not have let those words come out of the mouth. And in one sense, you know, you're right. That's not wasn't a Christ-like thing I thought or said. But we have an advocate with the Father, Amen. and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's something we need to put back on Satan. You're right, I did sin. But my God already convicted me of it. I've already asked His forgiveness. And before you came knocking at my door, He's already forgiven and cleansed me. And Him and I are right back where we need to be. He never stopped loving me and I never stopped being His child in any of that. I sinned. Okay? So He's true in that. But He's the accuser of the brethren. And what did He say? Uh, we get to see like the, the, backs, the behind the scenes for the, for the story of Job in the Bible. Before Job knows what's going on, Job's just praying and living his life and he fears God and shuns evil and he prays for his children who probably aren't serving God. And you know, all these calamities start happening. But just prior to that, 
we are allowed to see what was really going on. And it says that Satan went before the Lord and the Lord says, and he said, God said, where have you come from? From walking to and fro in the earth. You know, roaming around, walking. I just picture him like some bull in a china shop, walking around through the earth, just stomping it, you know, taking what he wants and to, to some extent. Now, I know he's limited by God, but still, he's just walking to and fro through the earth and walking up and down in it. And God said to him, have you considered my servant Job? How, do, how many of you know God, Satan does consider us? Because he said, well, Job, let me tell you something, God. Job just serves you because you put a hedge of protection on him because you blessed him so mightily. You wouldn't serve God for all these blessings you blessed him with in his life and you protect him and I can't get to him and I can't touch him and you're just blessing him. That's an accusation. He's saying the only reason Job serves you is because of these blessings. We learn from the man's life and his testimony, what a testimony, that's not the only reason. He was hurt. He was confused. He was upset when all those things happened. But he said, look, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I'm going to see him face to face. I know my Redeemer lives. I know he's going to, in the last day, he's going to raise me up and I'm going to stand before him. He knew these things and he trusted God. Satan was wrong. But he's an accuser of the brethren, and God gave him a measure of, or a, a measure of, of attacking him, an amount of how far you can go in his life. And so, but but that just is a good description of him. Job, I mean, the devil says, "You put you put forth your hand now and touch him; he'll curse you to your to your face." That's literally what Satan said. That's an accusation against the testimony and character of Job and his relationship with God and his faith in God. And so he does that. He does consider us. He's considering, you know, what Sherry's going to do. What if this happens to Sherry? I know that'll be the end for her. She'll walk away from God entirely. He's bringing those accusations. He's considering our walk with the Lord. Okay? But now the Bible tells us that he knows that his time is short. And it's going to be shorter. And we read about it in Revelation. You know, when he's cast down and really confined to physically, not even maybe the atmosphere, maybe right in the earth, he, he's, uh, he knows his time is short and he's angry and he's trying to accomplish all he can do and all the havoc he can do. But the Bible says he's like a roaring lion. How many of you know Satan roars? And that his, he, I picture this, and I think he's a very good intimidator. I'm not saying he's powerless, but I think his roaring, especially in the life of a Christian, is, is a lot more bark than bite, so to speak. I'm, I'm not mocking. I'm simply saying he's good at intimidating. You'll wake up, like I said, and you'll feel uh, afraid, and he just smites your heart with fear about one little thought that puts into your mind. You know, this is going to happen. That church is going to fold up. This is going to be nothing. You know, he tried to intimidate with all kinds of things when, when this church was starting and so forth. It, this is going to be nothing. It's going to be a big joke. It's going to come to nothing. Uh, he does that in our lives. And he's good at intimidating. And one preacher said he makes up in noise what he lost in power. Okay? He hates our good shepherd. These are things we need to know about Satan. He hates the Lord. He hates him. He's not indifferent. He hates him. And so he's going to do his worst or his best, however you want to call it, to, to come against God in every way. He's going to attack doctrine. 
He's going to attack our joy. The things that are precious to God, He's going to go after, like Job. Okay, He's going to go after us. And so, um, if in the faith in the Lord Jesus we would dare, I would say, to resist Him, we're going to come out on top every time. Every single time. There won't be a time. It's not 9 out of 10. Okay? Well, that's still a pretty good advantage. 9 out of 10. It's not 99 out of 100. Every time, we will go to the Lord and resist the, the Satan in the power of the Lord and by faith and His finished work on the cross and His present help with me now, at that moment, He's going to always bring us through victorious. Satan will not have the victory over us. Okay? And Jesus said, they're My sheep and My sheep will never perish. That's what He says about us. Okay? So, He walks about seeking. And as I said earlier, there's probably not a church that He's not, or one of His servants, devil's servants, is not poking into. You know what He's looking for? He's looking for uh, carelessness. He's looking for an unguarded spot. So he may have some advantage and walk right in. And we're so excited that a visitor came. I'm totally making this up, okay? We're so excited that a visitor came that we may let our guard down and God's trying to show us something maybe to protect us. Or a preacher comes on TV and we just kind of let our guard down and we listen. When I'm not saying that we should, we should think everybody's a false prophet, but we should check everybody by the Word of God and, and be led by the Lord. He's looking for some chink in the armor. He's looking for an unguarded spot around the flock or the fold where he can get. I get into the youth ministry. That's kind of that's kind of people aren't really paying that much attention to it. I really, I get in the nursery. The only one there is going to be the nursery worker and you know the kids. I can get in there. I can get in somewhere. And uh, so he's looking for that. Or he's looking for an individual like you or me that would be, like I said, careless or lax, prayerless. Uh, we're getting bitter. We're getting disgruntled. Uh, you know, Peter always gets to talk and the preacher never asked me to do anything. And we're getting disgruntled and we're getting bitter. He's looking for that. Or somebody that's not praying. Or, or, you understand what I'm saying? He's looking and he's looking for that. And he may look and praise God he doesn't find anything. And maybe he leaves for a little while. He'll come back and check later. But I pray that every time he would come, he wouldn't find a place. That we would cut him off. That we would see him coming before he comes. And I promise you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ sees him coming before we do. And he is going to sound the alarm to his people. We got to have our ears to the ground, so to speak. We have to be tuned into our good shepherd in the Word of God and in prayer. Not sometimes, not we have a time of prayer and fasting, but all the time, because he's coming and looking all the time. That's what he's doing, and so he's looking for that um, that place to get in. And we have to we we all not be careless. We need to be careful. So um, here's a, here's one of the key things about Satan and how he can get in a place or an advantage in the life of a Christian or a true Christian church. And it's only to the measure that we give it to Him. And some of those examples that I was just given, we have to be careful. Uh, he's not playing games. He's playing for keeps. Just like Jesus, and when He preaches the Gospel, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. There's no games. It's not a joke. This is not some happy medium in between the two. He's playing for keeps. And Satan is playing for keeps. And he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And he has no greater trophy to put in his trophy case 
than to take down a, a man or a woman or a, a home or a family or a marriage or a church or a pastor or a ministry that has had the reputation of really standing for God and walking with God. He would love that. You know, the lost man that's already lost and given himself over to homosexuality or, or fornication or, or Satanism or drunk, you know, he's already got that person. I mean, God can save him, but you understand my point. The real trophy for him would be to take somebody that professes Christ, that even knew and knows God and walks with God, and to wreck their testimony. He can't bring them to hell, but he can wreck their testimony and their effectiveness for Christ and actually bring shame to the name of the Lord. And how many people say, well, what a hypocrite. Pastor Randy's such a hypocrite. He used to preach against sin and preach against sin. And look at him. Look at where he's at, he's at now. How many tens or hundreds or thousands of people might hear about that? And it's just an excuse. It's not a valid excuse that will work in heaven. But use that as an excuse to turn off, well, I want nothing to do with God. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And so he would love that. It's only to the, to the measure we give him place. Don't give place to the devil, it says in Ephesians. Don't give him a place. You give him a, we can give him a place in a lot of different ways. But we're not saying come in Satan, but we're giving him a place because the armor that we're supposed to stand in by faith and by the power of his might, and he says, praying with all supplication and prayers, you know, having your loins gird, and then it gives the whole armor of God and it says, praying always. What if I'm not praying? Well, the Bible told me to pray, and this is my, my defense. Uh, in addition to the whole armor of God, is my defense, because it sums it all up by saying praying always, watching into prayer. And I say, i got all the armor of God, check, 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 but I'm not really, got too busy to pray lately. I can promise you He'll find a place to get in. That's just one of the areas. And so we have to be careful. And... Uh, we have to, the, the aim of Satan is temptation. He wants to entice us. He wants to entice even the believer, okay? He wants to entice us to sin, to transgress against the holy laws of God. I'm not talking about the Mosaic law. I'm talking about God's righteousness and what He's called us to do and to be according to His Word. He wants us to transgress against that, so He wants to entice us to do that. And... When it says he's seeking whom he may devour, devour means just what do you think to swallow up or even to drown. I didn't know that was one of the definitions for our study. He wants to devour us, just totally overcome us. And he wants to entice us to sin. And so what happens is when Adam was in the garden, the first man who, that first Adam, uh, when before he fell into sin and temptation, his physical appetites, for example, they hunger, or it was time to sleep, or you know whatever it might have been. Uh, those were all subject to the will of God. They weren't running haywire. They were very governed and controlled. They were right. The man could enjoy them. The woman could enjoy them. They could enjoy each other. They could enjoy all the food. They could name all the animals and have dominion over all the earth. And, and God put it all under His subjection. And everything's in a right order. And they fellowship with God. And all those things were in subjection to the will of God. But when man sinned, what he did is he, he when Adam sinned, and that's our earthly father, okay, uh, it, rep- it uh, replaced God with self. Not necessarily Satan, but it replaced God 
with everything's in allegiance to God. Everything's according to His will. And it was healthy and it was in balance and it was the way it should be. Replaced God with self. And now, man, and you see it, just look around. Just turn on the TV. Walk, walk down the street. You see people living for themselves. Trying to gratify and satisfy the lust of the flesh. And we've talked about it before. Every desire of the flesh is not wicked. But it's for, man is seeking to fulfill and gratify it above all. And seeking to gratify and fulfill that in ungodly or unlawful ways. Which are sins against God. And that's where the problem comes. Instead of God being first, I'm first. And instead of uh, bringing every appetite uh, under the, the, the government of God or in, for His glory and, and letting Him provide for me those things, I want it myself. If you're the Son of God, turn those stones to bread. Well, guess what? Jesus was being tempted by Satan right then. He was hungry. He had a literal physical appetite. He had a literal body just like ours. The difference was he wasn't born to that sin nature of Adam. But the physical body was the same. He was hungry. The Bible tells us he was hungry. And the first temptation was to fulfill just a plain old basic, unsinful uh, appetite. But it would have been at Satan's bidding as opposed to God's, his Father's will. Remember, I only do the things I see my Father doing. He's the only one that could ever say that and really, really mean it and back it up. But the point is that those appetites and lusts of the flesh have gone haywire in sinful man. Now, in, in Christians, in a born-again man or woman, I'm kind of just summarizing this whole thing. Satan is still trying to appeal to, uh, to get us to sin, right? And he's still trying to entice us. We still have a flesh. This is important that we, we notice this, understand this, that I'll, I'll just read this. From, from uh, Galatians, it says, we all, the Bible says that we all had our conversation, our lifestyle in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Ephesians chapter 2. Okay? God has judged the flesh in our sin, but He's judged the, our flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, in a, in a, in a real sense, in God's thought, you have to understand God's thought in his mind that that is put to death. Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. He never sinned. He died to sin and we're dead in him. And you understand that. But in another sense, it's only as we reckon that moment by moment, by faith, that reckon yourselves indeed dead unto sin. He's saying that to believers. And so I don't want to try to be too complicated. It could get complicated. In God's perfect plan what Christ did was put to death sin. And those that come to Christ, death to sin. But we still have a, a flesh. We still have appetites that can, if we pull out from under God's authority at every, any given moment, not being led by the Spirit, not walking in the Spirit, as a Christian, talking only to believers, I can, I can still sin. I can go seek to satisfy my appetites on my own, apart from the laws of God, the will of God, apart from faith, because whatever's not of faith is sin. Instead of Jesus, like Jesus waiting, when He finished those three temptations in the wilderness, the Bible says angels came and ministered to Him. That was a lot better, right? And so, that's, that's by faith, and that's walking with the Lord. 
you and I know that we still have a flesh, right? You've sinned since you've been saved, right? I've sinned since I've been saved. That's not the Holy Ghost sinning through me. That's me. It's still present. But it's not to dominate or rule. I can starve it out. I can reckon it dead by faith at any given moment and at every given moment. Think about it. At any given moment, we're in temptations the hottest, and at every moment, from it's it's good from now t- till. All right. By faith, I can reckon it dead. There has no temptation taken you, but such that is common to man. But God is faithful. God is faithful. So it's a man of faith that's walking with God, relying on that scripture and the God of that scripture. It says, "There's no temptation taken you, but such that is common to man." God is faithful when I suffer to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Every single temptation, big or little or medium sized or often or seldom, however you want to characterize it, in my weakest points and my strongest points, however Satan's trying to get me to sin, in every area, there's never a temptation so great that I have to, oh, this one I just had to give in to. I might give in to it, but I didn't have to. The Lord's provision was sufficient at that moment. If I do, I thank God that if we sin, we have an advocate. We do. We're promised that. And I've called on that advocate many times when I've sinned. But far better it is to not sin in the first place. To see the enemy coming. To be aware. I'm not ignorant of his devices. This is Satan trying to get me right now. He's trying to get me into a conversation with no profit. To get in some big argument over this, that, or the other. And it's not going to do any good. He's trying to get me to lose my temper so I look just as bad as they do. I'm not going to do it. He's trying to get me to gossip. They gossip. Well, I guess I can do it too. Feel justified. He's trying to get me to sin. And I need to recognize that's what that is. This is Satan. This, this is Satan trying to get me right here. And I'm not going to, in Jesus' name, allow him to do that. Lord, you see it? You see what he's doing? Okay, I'm calling upon you, Lord. So I'm about to go in a conversation. God, guard my tongue. Guard my mouth. Even while I'm sitting there talking and getting heated about something, guard my tongue. I can get heated and not sin. The Bible says you can be angry angry and sin not. Not a sin to be angry. Be angry and sin not. Don't let your conversation go too far. Turn it to hatred, to bitterness. Something like this. And so Satan is trying to dangle the thing in front of us to try to appeal and entice that flesh. But the Bible says every man is in, in, uh, enticed. You know, he's drawn away when he's enticed by his own lust. He, we still have that flesh, I guess is my point. Even still now, we can starve it out more and more. And you know when the final change is coming, y'all? It's when we see Him, we'll be like Him. I say it all the time. It's a wonderful Scripture in 1 John 3. And I believe it's referring to the rapture and in the new body that we're going to receive that will be like His body. And it won't have any of the residual, if you want to call it that, um, effects. You know when Jesus said uh, publicly, and quite a, quite a thing to say this, if I walked out in front of everybody that knew me my whole life, my high school buddies, my college buddies, my church members, my family... And, and y'all all piled up here and I said, which of y'all can convince me of ever committing a sin? I'd have to duck. You know, there would be so many, uh, you did this, you did this, and you know what, you're right. But say, Jesus stands up and says, which of you convinces me of sin? You're going to hear the crickets chirp. 
because they hadn't sinned. He's a sinless, spotless lamb. The prince of this world cometh, he said, it had nothing in me. No common ground, no weak spots uh, to where you can get a picture like getting a hook or like a little puppet. Anytime the, the uh, puppet master wants to yank him down, you can just yank that string. Okay? And the, Satan does not have any of that in Christ. And we're in Christ. That's why I'm saying it's not, it's not just a theory. It's a reality that we're in Christ and we're a new creature, but we do still have um, places that we have to guard against. Our fleshly nature is still present. The nature of Adam is not totally eradicated. It's subdued. It's under the authority of the Holy Ghost. It's under the authority of Jesus as we walk with Him and keep our eyes on Him. That's obvious by the fact that we sin as believers. But what He's looking for, He's looking for a place well, where can I get into Ethan? Okay? And so he's looking for a place. He can get in there. And every time I want, uh, the devil says, I can yank Ethan down with this same thing. We don't want it to be like that. I want him to not have that place in me. And that's an ongoing walk with the Lord to where uh, maybe I fell, but, but God strengthens me and, and I don't fall there again. Maybe I would fall in some other place. You understand what I'm saying? Where it's, it's a progress that we're moving on. But that's what he's looking for. We have that nature of Adam by hereditary. Okay? We have no choice. I've heard it said before. No choice in who our earthly parents are in that first birth. You didn't have any say so. You just came out. Your, your parents were your parents. You can't go back and get a redo. Alright? And your earthly parents and their parents and their parents... And I thank God for wonderful parents. But you understand my point. That we had no choice in the first birth, but we have every choice in the second birth. For a man to give his life to Christ, and we have the new nature, we're actually partakers of His divine nature, the Word of God tells us. Again, I don't want it to be too confusing. That's all of that nature of sin, of Adam, it's not eradicated to the point where it's totally absent. If it was totally absent, then we would never sin again. And every time we would sin, we say, I must not be a Christian at all. But there are provisions. Beloved, sin not. But if we do, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. That tells me we can. The Bible says in Galatians, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We see sins in the church at Corinth. We see sins uh, in Peter's life where Paul had to rebuke him to the face. Yes, believers can sin. The only way we could sin is if that flesh was still present. But we're not to give into it. At every moment, in waking moment, and sleeping moment, if we'll keep our eyes on Jesus, at every moment, we don't have to sin. We can yield to the working of the Holy Spirit, to His unction, to His power, and so forth. And author of this book I'm reading says, oh, that there were uh, not such a big gap or failure, I guess he says, between what what God's thoughts are of our life in Christ and what the reality is of what we walk in. How God's made us kings and priests unto our God and you're the head and not the tail and more than conquerors and overcomers and there's no temptation taking you. Flee temptation. Flee idolatry and all these things that are given. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. We have all these promises that He even empowers us to do it in the full armor of God and the Good Shepherd and we have everything that the Lord's provided for us and we're dead, crucified with Christ and risen in newness of life. Those are real. But in practice, 
And I would just have to say it's faithless on our part that we're at that moment not walking in the Spirit. We're not filled with the Spirit. We're not, um, we just choose to rebel, like almost like Adam did in the garden for a little while, for a little bit. I'm going to just rebel and do what I want. I'll come back and get it right with God later. We do that. And so there shouldn't be this big gap between God's thoughts for our lives as being Christ like and holy and walking in the Spirit and walking in complete victory over Satan and in our real, what we experience and practice. God wants those to be one of the same. Well, He's working in us, amen? To will and do of His good pleasure. We ought not excuse ourselves when we sin. We ought, not, we ought not put Satan on a pedestal and say, well, I guess he's just too great. We shouldn't do any of those things. We need to walk closely with the Lord. God, forgive me. I sinned today. Help me not to do that again tomorrow. I'm going to face the same temptation tomorrow to do the exact same thing. I'm not ignorant of his devices. I want to be ready. I want to be prepared. You think God will answer that prayer? You think God will help us? Absolutely, he's going to help us. And so... Some people even think that, and I'm bringing this bringing this to a close. But some people think that we're, um, when a person is saved, they're basically restored to that nature of Adam before the fall. And I think what we have in Christ is far better than that. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit, and that nature fell in Adam when he sinned that day, and Eve sinned. It, you know, it was prone to fall. I guess it was. It had that ability to fall. And if it hadn't fallen that day, it might have fallen the next day or a week later. But in Christ, there's, there's a real victory over that. There is a real victory over that if we walk in it. It's just as secure today as it will be you know, tomorrow, as the next day, or a week from now. It's just as secure of a victory and sure of a victory when you're really, really tempted or when you're not feeling tempted at all. It, you know what I'm saying? We don't have to, to sin. I think what we have in Christ is greater than what Adam had in the garden. And so, again, I'm going to just be bringing this to a close, but... Uh, all the temptation would overcome us if it were not for, as I said at the beginning, Christ in us, helping us at every moment. We might even say, God, I wish you to help me more. Well, I don't think we realize how much He is helping us. Because do you know if the Lord took that restraint from us? I'm talking about the restraining the flesh from indulging in everything we want to. It wouldn't take us the blink of an eye and we'd be like a dog returning to his vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. If he lifted the restraining, and I mean restraining in a good way, preserving like salt, uh, of the Holy Ghost in our lives, keeping us separated unto God, keeping us under the shadow of His wings, keeping us in the fold with the sheep, if he lifted that protection and restraint for a moment, don't think that you and I are so wonderful on our own that we would not flee to some type of sin or many types of sin. That's just who we are without the Lord. That nature, y'all, that nature of Adam is bent to it. You know what I mean? It's not bent away from it like it's behind his back. The nature of Adam, which we all still present in our lives, not ruling and reigning, but still there, is totally bent towards self. And pleasing self and gratifying self. It's bent toward. And you notice this, and I'm I'm closing. The, The nature of Adam is never reformed. Nowhere does the Bible talk about the old man man being reformed. We're gonna, you know, like we're gonna shape him back up, fit him for society, and get him back out there. The old man is crucified. Clinton used to always say the blood of Jesus will deal with and is sufficient for a man's sin. It is. The Bible tells us that very clearly. 
But it's the cross that deals with a man's flesh. That would be our propensity to sin, our inclination to sin, our continual bent to sin, wanting to go after it. Where we hadn't sinned yet, but it's in us to want to go after it. And it's the cross that deals with that. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Why would I take up an old ugly cross? Because it's representing death to what you want. And you're following me and what I want. And what I want for your life. So, I'm going to close just with this, uh, this thought. Y'all, we can watch and pray. We've, we've preached on it. We've talked about it. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee, flee from you. Peter says almost the exact same thing. Be watching. Be sober. Be vigilant. Uh, because he's your adversary. Whom resists steadfastly? How? In the faith, Peter says. Resist him steadfastly in the faith. And I wanted to close by reading... Another quote from here that I thought was, was really good. He talks about the Lord uh, make you perfect, establish, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Okay, And this is the trials that come and the, the attacks of Satan that come against our lives. If we'll let the Lord... And Peter's talked a lot about trials, right? And here he's talking specifically ones that Satan tries to bring into your life. Uh, like he did with Job. But uh, the trials will make us perfect or mature if we'll let them and work the character of Christ in us. The trials will establish us and, and make the, uh, the Christians strong in the Lord, like established in the Lord where we're not moved. If we'll let them, if we'll keep our eyes upon the Lord. The trials will, be, will serve to strengthen us in our faith. We go through a trial, we resist. God helps us resist some great onslaught of the devil trying to wreck our faith. You know what he's after? Satan's after your faith. Ultimately, yes, He wants to wreck your testimony and all that, but He can do that by wrecking your faith where you throw in the towel and you say, I'm done with this. I'm tired of it. I'm going back. It's, it's long enough. You know, I'm hard enough. It's too hard. He's after your faith. Remember, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that He might sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. What? That your faith fail not. Specifically, His faith. When you're converted or basically not saved but like restored and you come through this trial, you use that trial and the victory that God gave you to go strengthen your brethren. That's what He told them. So when we go through trials, and here we're talking about the trials where Satan tries to tempt us to sin, let that be used uh, for the glory of God. Come through it trusting God that our faith fail not. We need to pray that for ourselves. We need to pray that for each other. We need to pray for persecuted Christians over in China that their faith doesn't fail when they're saying we're going to separate you from your family. We're going to torture your child in front of you or whatever it may be. That your faith fail not. We need to pray that for ourselves and for those around us. And when you're converted or you come through it for all for the glory of God, use that testimony of what God did in reality in your life to go strengthen another brother. Amen? So I'm just going to close with that thought. I think it's a wonderful thought.